Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Jay. And before we get into today's episode, want to share with you about some of our partners in ministry here. Um, as always, from the very beginning, Western Seminary has been uh, one of our key partners, and Regeneration Project is actually a ministry of Western Seminary. So if you or someone you know is looking for um, a graduate degree in a variety of fields uh, in, a, in a setting that's gospel-centered, um, where Jesus is at the forefront, uh, check out Western Seminary at their website, uh, westernseminary.edu. And um, another one of our partners, um, Eternity Bible College. Um, they are an undergrad school, fully accredited, and one of their goals is to give you um, the best possible theological, biblical education uh, with practical tips for leading in the church and in the mission field and in industry, um, while also keeping everything affordable. And uh, it, it's an incredible um, opportunity for those who are looking to get a biblical education. So you can check them out at eternitybiblecollege.com. And um, please mark your calendars for October 27th, which is going to be our next large gathering annual Regeneration Forum event in the Bay Area of California. We'll be talking about heaven and hell and everything in between, featuring speakers like John Ortberg and Joshua Ryan Butler, as well as many others. Um, you can get all the info about that on our website at regenerationproject.org. And as usual, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to share some thoughts or questions or suggestions about the podcast or anything else, um, you can email us at podcast at regenerationproject.org. And now on to today's episode. Today we are talking to Tara Beth Leach. Tara Beth is the lead pastor of Paznaz, as it's affectionately called, Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene. And um, it is one of the largest, if not the largest, Nazarene church in the country. And um, she, as a female theologian and pastor, is leading this church, and that has created all sorts of conversation um, in really positive ways. And so today we talk a little bit about Tara Beth's journey, um, the challenges she has faced as a woman trying to lead, particularly in the context of the local church. Uh, we get into some of the arguments people make about Christianity and the Bible possibly being sexist. And um, Tara Beth also wrote a book last year called Emboldened. A vision for empowering women in ministry. So we get into some of that as well. I think you're going to be um, thoroughly encouraged and maybe even challenged and inspired. So um, it's a really fun conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Here is our conversation with Tara Beth Leach. Hey, Tara Beth, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's so good to be here. I want to begin by asking you your story. You're you're a pastor. You're the lead pastor at Paznaz, as it's affectionately called, Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene. And uh, you're also an author, you're a writer, you're a speaker. You've done a lot and continue to do a lot for your church and for the church at large. But I'm curious to know, I think a lot of people would be curious to know, how'd you get here? <laughs> yeah, so I did not grow up attending church regularly. Um, and so... Uh, when I was 15 years old, there were a lot of kids in high school uh, that were involved with a program called Youth for Christ or Campus Life. Mm -hmm. And I would just overhear their conversations on the bus and in the hallways, and they would talk about Jesus in a way that was as if Jesus were 
were present, hmm. as if Jesus could hear us, as if Jesus were a friend. And that really intrigued me and sparked something in my heart and set me on a journey of, of seeking, of thirsting, of asking questions, uh, which eventually led me to reading my Bible. And um, I actually set out to read the entire Bible in a matter of months um, at 15, 16 years old. And so I began to read all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And by the time I got to the Gospel of Luke, everything began to make sense. And I was really captivated by the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and the ways that he was, he, the, the way that he showed just a wide rainbow of human emotions. Hmm. He was compassionate. He was present with people. Um, he moved towards those um, who the religious elite said he shouldn't be moving towards. Hmm. And he loved them. He healed them. He forgave them. He performed miracles. And um, to the point that by the time I arrived to the cross in the Gospel of Luke, I was devastated. I knew it was going to happen. It was like watching a really bad movie um, where you're, you're telling them, you know, run from the bad guys. You don't have to do this. Run the other direction. Yeah. Um, but yet I knew what was going to happen. And so by the time I got to the cross, I was overwhelmed. And the only thing that I could do was get on my knees next to my bed, lift up my palms. And the only words that could come out of my mouth were, thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that was the first of thousands of yeses that I have said to Jesus in my lifetime. Um, that was when I really began to fall in love with Jesus, walk with Jesus, and enter into a, a committed life, if you will, of, of allowing the Spirit to have the Spirit's way in my life. And so it was just a few months after that that I was on a missions trip as a teenager to uh, Mexico. And the youth pastor there was doing a Bible study and becoming fishers of men. And um, he put his Bible down and he said, if there's anyone here, he said, I just feel like there's someone here that God is calling into full-time ministry and to be a fisher of men. And he said, if that's you... I want you to stand up. And he said, in fact, I want all of you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if it's you, I want you to stand up. And I did what most teenagers do in moments. I kind of squinted my <laughs> eyes and started to look around. Sure. And I thought, well, I wonder who that is. But at the same time, my heart was pounding. My palms were sweating, which um, oftentimes in moments like that, it's the Holy Spirit at work. And um, I didn't know what to do, so I stood up. And um, it just, and I, I didn't just stand up because I didn't know what to do, but also just because I, I heard just this holy whisper. It wasn't an audible voice. I just heard something that said, it's you, Tara Beth. And so I stood up and I think probably thinking back to that moment, they were all surprised that I stood up. <laughs> um, it, although it was an incredibly um, flourishing time for me as a teenager. It was also a confusing time um, and a time of discovery um, because that current chapter that I was working with held the theology that women couldn't be pastors. Hmm. Um, and so, 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 but that moment too for me was, was, was so important. Um, it was, again, it was another yes, another monumental yes to Jesus 
Um, my imagination wasn't big enough uh, for what this was supposed to look like. And so I often think of that moment as just a faithful step forward or a blind uh, step forward. Um, I had no idea what God was calling me into other than to say yes to that moment mm. um, and to yes to a future of full-time vocational ministry. I didn't know if that was going to be a missionary. I didn't know if it was going to be a Youth for Christ leader or an evangelist or a Bible teacher. I just wanted to take that faithful step, which then just set the trajectory of the rest of my life of, of just taking one step after the next, um, sometimes blind, sometimes hard, sometimes resistant, sometimes very confusing, uh, sometimes painful. Um, but that's led me to this moment today as the senior pastor of a church in Southern California. You know, so some some 20 years in between there, it was um, a journey of ups and downs, of mountaintops, of valleys. Um, I, I, I had moments where I wanted to run for my call to ministry. Hmm. Um, and again, a lot of it had to do with my imagination was never big enough for this. Yeah. Um, I had never seen a female pastor before, um, and uh, the only women in ministry I'd ever seen were, were women's ministries Bible teachers, and so I often resisted the Spirit and told the Spirit that that's what I need to do. Um, I love teaching the Bible. I often had people tell me I shouldn't be doing this, I can't be doing this, um, but here I am, exactly where I'm supposed to be, exactly where I believe God wants me to be, yeah. and doing exactly what I believe God has created me to do, and that is to shepherd the bride of Christ yeah. um, on mission into the future. You know, you mentioned in that story the tradition you came from, and you've mentioned even in the last 20 years, the lack of experience with seeing um, gifted women leading in the local church, like truly leading in the local church. And I want to ask you about that. I came from the same tradition. So a lot of the stuff I heard growing up as a kid in the church, in uh, um, the, the environments I grew up in, they were biblical reasons, at least on the surface. Like 1 Corinthians 14, someone would say, well, Paul says it right here, women should remain silent in the churches. You know, they'd read one line or 1 Timothy 2, look at this, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And then Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, which for my 13, 14 year old mind was like, okay, well, I guess that's in the Bible. So that's what it is. And, and for us now at the Regeneration Project, one of the things we see is that these sorts of passages are used not just by followers of Jesus, but sadly, by those outside of the church not following Jesus who use texts like this out of context, and in my opinion, to essentially make the argument in a compelling way, actually, that the Bible, specifically in Christianity generally, is sexist. Um, and sadly, the church itself has, has perpetuated this idea in many ways. So I'm curious to know from your own experience, as well as from your studies, your um, uh, a well-thought-out uh, theologian, in, in addition to being a pastor and a speaker and a writer, what are your thoughts? How do you respond to someone now, having been through what you've been through, how do you respond to someone who, who points to passages like that? 
Right. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I just want to say that, you know, I have a really high ecclesiology. In other words, I have a really high view of the church. Yeah. I'm in the bride of Christ. I love the church. And so, you know, when it comes to this conversation and um, others trying to work this out, um, I have a lot of empathy Mm. Uh, for those who have the complementary view, meaning women um, have certain roles and men have certain roles and men are the head and, and women simply, you know, follow. And I really believe that that their intentions are the best. I want to think I want to believe that, that their intentions are the best and that it's not malicious by any means, that this is simply the bride of Christ trying to work out some difficult stuff. And at the same time. Um, I think that this is a really important conversation, and I really believe uh, with my whole heart um, that the church has gotten this wrong. Um, the church has had it right down through the decades, and then there's been seasons where we've we've backed a- away from that. Um, and this is not a new idea. Um, this is not a new conversation. Um, this is decades and decades old. Um, this is we're, we're good, you know, and so when it comes to this conversation of women embracing their 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 full role within the body of Christ, I don't believe that we are giving into culture. I believe that we're actually going old school. Hmm. We're returning to our roots. And so um, oftentimes when it comes to this particular conversation, it's it all comes down to this 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 fancy word um, called hermeneutics, how one reads the Bible. And um, that's that's what it comes down to. And um, and so when we look at passages like that, we, we first have to ask ourselves, are we reading scripture in light of the whole Bible, um, in light of all of scripture? Um, and because that's really important that when we read some of those those problem or difficult or tricky passages, we've got to read it in light of the entire story of God. So if we read it in light of the entire story of God, then we have to wrestle with, well, what about the women who were leaders, who were prophets, who were leaders of all of Israel, like Deborah, for example, um, of women who were spokespersons for the people of God, of women who were teachers, of women who were apostles, of women who were clearly shepherding. So, so if we were to lead it and read those passages in light of all of that, then we've got to say, well, then something else is going on here. Perhaps this isn't descriptive for all women, uh, or perhaps this isn't prescriptive for all women. Perhaps this is more descriptive of something else that is happening here. And so then, if then we then we've got to start to drill down on just um, perhaps what is the context of what's happening in the church at that time, and I think that Scott McKnight and others really are helpful in their scholarship um, in shedding some light on some of the difficulties that were happening in the church that Paul was um, responding to. And there were some real contextual issues that Paul was responding to. There was disruption happening in the church and there were women that were being incredibly disruptive. There was a cultural movement happening at that time that Scott McKnight and others call the new Roman woman Hmm. um, that um, were causing a lot of disruption in the church. And so when Paul talks about women keeping quiet in the church, he's responding to a very particular issue. He, it very well could have been just as 
well have been men um, that he was asking to keep quiet in the church. They were the ones that were causing disruption, but um, it was in fact women. And so, so again, like, I think we've got to, we've got to remember that when we read scripture, we read it in light of the entire story of God. So then we've also got to ask ourselves, um, again, this is another Scott McKnight thing, um, for, for anyone that wants some extra reading, um, Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight, I think is one of the, the simplest um, books that we can read in this conversation. A teenager can pick it up, um, a lay person can pick it up and can understand, engage in this, this conversation. Again, it comes down to this hermeneutics. But so if we were to back up and ask this question that Scott McKnight poses, what did women do? Um, which is a really important exercise uh, for anyone that wants to dig in. Just begin in Genesis and walk through Scripture and answer that question. Every time you see a woman in the Old or New Testament, um, answer the question, what did they do? And what you'll discover is that um, they had um, roles that men also had, which was even more radical and countercultural then um, than it is today. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. Um, Blue Parakeet was incredibly formative for me. I just recently found out there's a second edition coming out with some additions that Scott yes, has added, that's which right. is really wonderful. Yes, and a study guide. So, yeah, so we couldn't couldn't endorse that anymore. Um, yes. And what I love about everything you do, Tara Beth, is that it is rooted. You, This is something you say regularly. It's always rooted in the unfolding story of God, that's beginning right. to end and continuing on in the world um, today. I think that's a wonderful tool to apply to all sorts of questions that we have about uh, our faith and about what God might be up to. I want to ask you, um, in it, it, almost as a sort of, I don't know if you would consider it this way, but almost it seems in some ways as a sort of um, climax of your last 20-year journey that you were mentioning earlier. Last year, you wrote a book called Emboldened, and the tagline is A Vision for Empowering Women in Ministry. And what I love about the book, I love so much about the book, but one of the things I love most is the way you broke the book down and your posture, which I think represents so much of what we care about here at the Regeneration Project, a posture of generosity and kindness and openness, while still a firm grasp on um, theology and what God is up to. I want to ask you what compelled you to write the book you know it's a big risk to put such strong ideas and opinions out there for the mass for the masses um, what were you seeing in the church at large that drove you to to put pen to paper and say something of this of this magnitude yeah so this book was for those who already embrace a biblical view uh, for women in ministry at all levels. Mm-hmm. And so um, so Blue Parakeet is for those that, that want that biblical view. So, so if you were to think of um, a trajectory of books to read, I would almost say that you'd read Blue Parakeet, then Emboldened, yeah. for example. Um, and so I wrote this book because I have a really high view of the church. I love the Bride of Christ. And I think that this mission of God that we get to participate in um, is everything and that we need all hands on deck participating in this mission. And um, especially now more than ever, um, as many are having this important conversation of what it means to be for the Bride of Christ to be postured um, uh, in this post-Christian context. 
In other words, there's there's a notable um, decline in the North American church within local churches. So what do we do about that? And and so for me, knowing that that this is that this is happening, um, I'm interested in seeing the Bride of Christ propelled in significant ways in this mission. Uh, but we need everyone. Um, and what I was seeing was women were being held back, mm-hmm. even in churches who have the theology um, and who have the doctrine um, uh, for empowering women in ministry. Even in these churches, women were being held back. So so you've heard the phrase that um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> you've heard that before. I think that this is also true. I think we could also say that culture eats theology for breakfast. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that we might have the doctrine and theology and the biblical view for women in ministry. Many churches have it. Um, but our culture um, and our cultural constructs that we are embracing and living into is winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to, as a church, step back and say, what is the kingdom vision of men and women co-laboring in the mission of God? Because, because we need everyone right now. There's a mission at stake. And so for me, this book um, wasn't um, driven by a desire to see women take over and prove some sort of point. Mm-hmm. This book was written because, again, I love the church and I want to see her live into her fullness. Um, and so my hope in writing this book was that it would have a winsome tone yeah. um, and that it would simply cast the imagination of what we get to do. And so this book was also for women who are angry. This book was for women who are bitter. This book is for women who are ready to give up and was to, to, to even gather the women and say, Hey, we need you. We need your voice. And I know this is hard. Believe me, I get it. I've heard it all. It's all been said to me. I've been pushed to the sidelines. Um, I, I deal with the microaggressions. Um, I, I deal with the door in my face um, daily. I, I get it. I watch people walk out uh, while I'm preaching. We lost hundreds of people at our church because of my gender. I get it. I know the pain. The wounds are real. But while we lament and while we grieve, I believe that we have an opportunity to do this in a way that is winsome and to not lead out of our bitterness and wounds, but instead um, give our people an imagination through through talking about this in a way that that expands their imagination. And also it's it's about taking one faithful step after the next. Um, so, so when we experience those microaggressions, when we experience a closed door in our face, we could use it as a moment to grind an axe, or we can use it as a pastoral moment to give people a better imagination of how this is done. I don't know if I'm making very much sense here, but, no, but great. I just think it's really important that we 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 resist the temptation to lead out of our bitterness. Yeah. Um, and instead use these as opportunities to give people an imagination. Yeah. I love the language of imagination and um, helping all of us reimagine what is possible 
um, before us. And, yes. you know, there are so many different ideas you get into the book that I, I wish we had enough time to get into all of them. But I want to ask you about one in particular um, that I think is so interesting and so crucially important. You talk about um, the temptation of imposter syndrome. Um, talk a little bit about that and um, maybe specifically what led you to sort of address that. And uh, first of all, what, what you're talking about when you talk about imposter syndrome and um, ways that we can actually break free from that. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is um, something that anyone can struggle with. Men, women. Um, however, studies show that women and people of color most often um, struggle with this. And so imposter syndrome, um, if we were just to break it down for, say, a church or seminary setting, is the feeling that you don't belong, that you're an imposter, um, is a feeling that if you get an opportunity, you got the opportunity because someone else um, just wanted to be generous for you and you're not really gifted, you don't really belong. It's, it's kind of just that gnawing feeling that everyone else in the room is more gifted than you hmm. and that you're there by accident anyone can really um, struggle with this. But so if, so if you were to get an opportunity, you think, well, uh, I just got this opportunity because they, they're my friend. Yeah. I don't really deserve this. So, so um, I wrote about it because it's real for me. It is something that creeps up in my own life time and time again. And um, it wasn't until I became aware of this reality though, that I was able to begin to fight against this. And like I said, it's it's most often something that women and people of color struggle with. Um, and so so I wrote this to four other women and other individuals that really just believe that, you know, maybe they had a calling early in life and now they have a seat at the table, but they believe that they don't really belong. Um, again, I wanted to press into that and expand their imagination that that this is a construct that has been created and this is a lie straight from the enemy. And, and that you actually do belong and that we need your voice at the table. We need your gifts. Your gifts and the way you use your gifts might look different um, than everyone else's gifts, but that's why we need you at the table. As, as I'm listening to you say that, I can just sense it in my own soul, but I think for so many people who are listening, there's probably something rising in them that's like, oh, Tara Beth, I know exactly what you're talking about. If you could give us just one or two things like, okay, what can I do? What can I actually practically do today or tomorrow or in the coming week to, to fight against the imposter syndrome? What are some of your thoughts on that? What can we do to fight that in, in a real way? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's really important that we learn how to name it. So mm. the, the first step is seeing it and naming it. Um, because a lot of people, um, before learning about imposter syndrome, um, it's just their everyday reality and something that they believe about themselves. And so when we can first begin to name, this is not real. Mm. This is imposter syndrome. And I believe it's a work of, of undermining, if you will, of, of something that is not the goodness of God, yeah. but something other than the goodness of God. So if we can first begin by naming it. And I am a really big proponent of journaling. Um, and starting to note and journal instances in our life where we walked into a room and we heard that voice, you don't belong, you're an imposter, 
You're going to get found out at any moment now. Um, journal those moments and begin to name. That wasn't real. That was imposter syndrome. This is because I'm a woman or this is because I'm a person of color or this is because I'm, I'm different. And of course, I, I'm going to feel like an imposter in the room. And then begin to pray, uh, you know, practice, I guess, um, almost a mindfulness, if you will, borrowing from, you know, I guess the world of psychology, practicing, I guess, a, a sense of present when you're in a room, when you hear that voice and begin to name this is imposter syndrome and find whatever spiritual disciplines work for you to begin to combat that. Uh, write down some scripture verses about who God says you are. Keep them in your back pocket. And when you feel it creeping in, pull it out and read those and simply say, I am who God says I am. God is who God says he is. Yeah. Um, and just begin to develop spiritual rhythms in your life that can help combat that. For church leaders who are listening, we have a, a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are leading in the church, and they're listening because they are interested in the future, and they're interested in the possibilities. As they check out the book and continue this dialogue and this conversation, whether they're complementarian or egalitarian, I love what you said about, you know, culture eats theology for breakfast, right? As we consider not just our theology, not just our positions um, theologically, but actually our our cultural posture to the people in our communities. When you think about the, the, those who are listening who are leading churches to consider the cultures they are helping to craft and create in their churches, um, what would you say to them about practical next steps they can take or maybe questions they can ask of themselves to really assess uh, where we're at in terms of truly empowering women um, to leadership and ministry in the church? Yeah, so first of all, um, again, name it. Mm. Name the church needs to name. We can do better. And then pray that the Spirit would give you eyes to see the reality within your local church yeah. or whatever system you have the power to contribute in um, and, and bring this to light. And so if you're a pastor, preach about women. Um, use women as examples. Talk about Junia. Talk about Mary who proclaimed the resurrection. Mm. Talk about the evangelist um, at the well with Jesus. Um, lift up these women. Um, use use examples in your sermon illustrations of, of women in ministry who've, who've made differences. Um, number two, if if you have the ability to um, empower women, if you're a pastor, a senior pastor, um, invite women to your pulpit. Work hard. They might be few and far between, but work hard to find them. Um, if you have women in your congregation who have gifts of teaching and preaching, actually, I shouldn't say if. Pastors, if you're listening, you have women in your church who are gifted. They don't know it, and you can help them discover that and give them that imagination. Yeah. So, so seek them out. Mentor them. Don't be afraid to mentor them. Um, encourage them, point out their gifts, and give them opportunities. If you have the ability to hire um, pastors and staff, um, intentionally search, search for diversified staff and to bring women. That Your church will thrive all the more because of it. Um, and be willing to, to, to die on the hill, if you will, hmm. um, uh, for this conversation. Uh, be willing to brave this. Be willing to um, stand up and take the bullets uh, for this conversation. There, there's a cost to it. 
there will be loss, but the fruits later on will far outweigh the cost. Yeah. Um, so those are just a few practical things. I have like 11 different things that pastors can begin doing now um, in the book Emboldened, um, mm. if anyone li- would like to read more. Yeah, that's great. One last thought before we conclude. What would you say specifically to the women listening, if you could just speak to them for a moment to encourage them, even pastorally, um, what would you say? Yeah, women, if you are sitting here listening to this, and first of all, if your heart is pounding, your palms are sweating, just take that faithful step and begin by saying yes to Jesus. Even if your imagination is not big enough for what that yes is, first of all, embrace that yes. If you are a woman who said yes and is is in that wilderness moment, keep, if you can, putting one foot in front of the other. If you're at a church that is that is rejecting your gifts and your role in the, the church, perhaps it's time um, if, if there's just nowhere to go, perhaps it's time to find another church that does embrace your giftedness. Um, if you feel like you've just been hitting a wall, sometimes it's just time to go. Um, if you're a woman that is just so tired and weary and you don't want to do this anymore, resist the temptation to lead out of your bitterness, but instead be led by the Spirit and recognize that, that yes, this is hard, but it's, it's hard when you're on the front lines. It's hard and you're going to get bullets. But whatever you can, if you can lead from a place of graciousness, um, a posture of love and compassion and empathy, and see, this is an opportunity that we get to do this, that we get to paint the kingdom vision of what it looks like to lead in ministry. Um, and so, so for all of the women that are listening, um, do, do rise up. Do embrace whatever imagination God is giving you and go for it and put one foot in front of the other. Thank you so much. Um, Tara Beth, the work you're doing is so important. So um, I think it's paradigm shifting for so many people in such necessary ways. Um, you are on our Regeneration website, on our Leadership Collective page, which is a bunch of folks around the country that we admire and love and um, want to point people to their work. So people can find some of your stuff there and links to some of your stuff. But but let people know who are listening, if they want to directly sort of check out the work that you're doing, um, where can they find you online and access some of your work? Yeah, a couple places. So my website, TaraBethLeach.com. Um, my Twitter and Instagram handle is the same, which is TaraBeth82. And then I have a page on Facebook as well, uh, TaraBethLeach, and would love to get connected. I love getting connected to new people on social media. TaraBeth, again, like I said, um, your work is so important. So um onward. (laughs) Please keep doing what you're doing. Even this short conversation, I think, is going to be helpful to so many people, both men and women who are listening. And I'm, because of people like you, um, women and men like you, I'm really hopeful about the future of the church. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank Thank you you for your time. It's good to be here. Yeah. And we will hopefully talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. 